Well, I know I'm biased, but my daughter got robbed this week. <laughs> she was very excited. Of course, they're, uh, it's a blind audition, so I can't claim that, but uh, she was pretty excited. She's a freshman, and she got to compete and move on to the next level, so she was real excited about that. We were happy for her, and we're grateful for, you know, just the surrounding community and region. She was, you know, Lemisa doesn't have a choir, but uh, Seminole invited her to come and sing with them and practice with them, and they've got a really good program, so that was kind of fun that, uh, you know, God's just opening his arms to us, our family, in a lot of different ways, and, and we're grateful for that, so... Good week for us this week. Well, we're going to continue our series called Kingdom Come. And, you know, one of the things we pray all the time in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, here in Lamisa, Texas, as it is in heaven. And, of course, we pray that, as we talked about last week, we already pray that God's kingdom would come and be expressed in our region. But when we pray that prayer, you're actually praying for the return of Jesus Christ ultimately. Ultimately, that's the trajectory of your prayer. And it's the heart's cry of the world, really, that Jesus Christ would return and establish his kingdom on earth. You know, we, uh, we read from, Gary read from 2 Samuel this morning that those verses that he read is what's called the Davidic covenant. It's a very important promise in the Old Testament. It was a promise made to King David at a certain point in history. And there are many promises of God called covenants in the Old Testament. You know, we have the Noahic covenant with the rainbow. You guys know that one. We have the Mosaic covenant with the law. Many different covenants or promises that God made in the Old Testament, most of them have conditions. If you do this, I will do this. The one Gary read this morning, the Davidic covenant, has no conditions. It's an unconditional promise that God made to a man in history, a Jewish man, uh, in a certain point in time, in a certain place, God made a promise that is unconditional. And it involves three things. It involves a people. It involves a place or a piece of land. And it involves a king. Three things. A people, a piece of land, and a king. Now listen, church, those three things are the, the unconditional components of what we call a kingdom. A kingdom necessarily has, it includes those three things, a people, a piece of land, or a territory, and a king. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. It includes and involves those three things. Now listen, that message, the kingdom of God, has always been extremely controversial. Do you understand that? The men who produced that message we find in the books of the Bible, 
and the men who promoted it have been consistently killed throughout human history. This message is controversial. And so when we get into this series, there are going to be some things said that sound controversial. It's not my intent to be controversial. It's just my intent to teach the Bible. Are you with me, church? And the Bible is controversial. It always has been. When the politics of this world are confronted with the politics of heaven, that mixture rarely, if ever, goes well. And usually the men who stand for and promote the kingdom of heaven get killed. And so we're going we're gonna to start this message today. I'm going to say some things. I hope they don't sound controversial. They may be controversial. Again, that's not my intent. My intent is to teach the Bible, and the Bible is controversial. And so I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. I've actually kind of written uh, a sermon because the material, typically I'll kind of just study what God wants to say and get up in front of you and say it. I'm not sure that's wise with this material. And so I've actually written it down. I'll be reading a lot of it. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about some things in the context of the message of the kingdom of heaven. The promise that God made to King David. Forever, one of your descendants will sit on your throne. That throne is located in a particular place over a particular territory with a particular people, and it is God's chosen man who will sit on that throne. You realize, good citizens of the state of Texas in the United States of America, that means you don't get a vote. Right? Some of this sounds very foreign to our political sensibilities. This is completely different from our way of life, the way we do things, the way we've always known things to be done. And so I want to read to you, I want to read to you some things that set the stage for something that's coming at some point in the future. And I want you to hear what I'm saying, and I don't want you to hear things that I'm not saying. So I might want to be careful to address that as well. The United States of America has been the greatest form of national government maybe ever devised by human beings. Now, I said that to be nice. I don't know whether that's true or not. That's the only form of government I've ever known. It's probably the only form of government you've ever known. And so we say that. We don't know whether that's true or not. But we can say this. Most people will tell you that the nation that has been built is certainly the strongest, most powerful, most just nation that we've seen on the landscape of human history. And so I don't think that's an overstatement. I don't think I'm out of bounds saying that. Now that's in spite of the many heinous injustices that have happened under our watch. Our time on the stage of human history has been God-ordained. Yes, there have been some really ugly and unjust things that have happened under our watch. In spite of that, our place on the stage of human history has been God-ordained, and it has been worth fighting for. 
Now consider this. I want you to think about this, church. Our government was formed in 1776. At the time our government was formed, knowledge doubled about every 200 years. About every 200 years. Now, the time that we're living right now, it currently doubles every 12 months. Very soon, it will double every 12 hours. How many of you know the world in which our form of government was birthed was a different world than the one we're living in right now? It is radically different. For 6,000 years, until the beginning of the 20th century, the horse and the carriage was the most modern form of land transportation. It's only a little over 100 years ago, right? Sailing by sea was extremely dangerous. Travel under these conditions was limited to about 25 miles per hour and about 1,000 miles per person per year for someone who travels frequently. Listen to this. Today, a space shuttle can travel at 18,000 miles per hour while in orbit. How many of you know the world has changed radically in the past hundred years. Transportation with the automobile, trains, and airplanes increased the distance traveled per year to 25,000 miles for the person who travels often. Think about this. In 1890, Nellie Bly completed a record trip around the world in 72 days. That was amazing at the time it happened. In 1924, an airplane flew around the earth in 15 days. In 1933, Wiley Post made the first solo flight around the world in seven days. And in 1962, I'm sure many of you remember, John Glenn circled the earth in 12 hours. Because of the radical change our world has encountered in the last 100 years, it's led many to the conclusion that a new form of governance is needed. Our way of life, our form of government will likely change radically in the coming years and seasons. I'm not putting a time frame on that. I am not saying that our country will cease to exist. Are you with me? That's not what I'm saying. But how many of you know, at one point in history, Great Britain had a saying that said, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Have you ever heard that? At one point in history, that was a somewhat true statement. Great Britain still exists, doesn't it? But they were not the global empire they were at one point in history. The momentum of self-destruction is increasing. We're eating ourselves with competing self-interests. The world is growing weary of U.S. foreign military and economic policy, all of which is implemented primarily for our best interest and not the rest of the world. 
This is the way empires work. So that has led many since the 1980s to conclude we need a form of global governance. It's been a popular theme since the 1980s. The Bible paints a picture of a final world government looking significantly different from the world around us under U.S. leadership. It will have a different political makeup. It will be totalitarian. It will have a very different and effective economy. And it will be brutal and ruthless in enforcing its policies. So I say globalization is something that is coming on the landscape of human history. It's staring us right in the face. I say that because the Bible predicts that's coming on the scene. And the, the form of global government that the world perceives that it needs, that is required because of the changing landscape that we live in, will be an evil form of government. Now listen, if you listen to many Christian commentators on this topic on television or in books, people who write books on these topics, you know, the, the predominant theme is that globalization is a satanic plan. That's the, the common theme. And I would say that's not true. The form of global government that is coming is satanic, but global governance is God's plan. It is God's plan to send his son, who is uh, in the line of David. He is a Jewish man. He's returning, he's returning to a particular place at some point in the future. And the plan is to establish a kingdom that is worldwide under his leadership with people that he's bringing with him both Old Testament believers and New Testament believers are coming with him and he will set up a global government. Globalization is God's plan. But an evil government is the context that sets the stage for the return of Jesus Christ. The Kingdom Come series. Jesus is returning to set up a global government on this earth with resurrected people under his human leadership. You know, in the church, we're used to thinking Jesus primarily in eternity as a God that we worship. But in the Old Testament, most of the story is about a human being who sits on a literal throne and leads the nations of the earth as a man. And church, Jesus is both 100% man He's a Jewish man. He will forever be the son of David. And he's 100% God. The thing we want to emphasize in this series, because in the church, we're so used to thinking of Jesus as God to be worshipped. And he is that. But we have underemphasized the fact that forever, Jesus will be a particular resurrected Jewish man 
who has a political job description that he will be executing with our assistance forever. So three topics we're going to cover as this series goes on. It's the three major themes of kingdom. The man who has been chosen by God to lead the nations of the earth. And he earned that right by coming to the earth and teaching the great wisdom that he taught, doing the great deeds that he worked, displaying the great power that he possessed, showing us the character that is unparalleled that he had. He has earned that right by laying down his life, paying the ultimate price, and then showing his great victory by resurrecting from the dead. Jesus has received the right to rule and lead. He is the man chosen by God, and he will suffer no rivals. The question is, as we go on to this series, we're going to focus on the man who's been chosen, the land that he will rule, and the people that will rule with him. These are the three major topics we're going to cover in this series. And I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me. I'm going to be reading from verses 16 through 20. Global governance. As you're turning to the Gospel of Luke So many issues are conflicting with one another nowadays. Different ideologies about how we relate to one another, particularly in the areas of trade and finance. You know, that's going to be a big topic in the uh, election cycle that's coming up. And keep in mind, church, I'm not a political person. I don't really get into politics, American politics. You might. That's fine. Uh, my politics are the ones that I'm espousing in this series that's my political leader. I'm just a visitor here. I'm just a sojourner here. My kingdom is a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen? I'm just a visitor here. My heart, the eyes of my heart and the eyes of my mind are set on the politics of the kingdom of heaven and what God has in store for us. There's going to be all kinds of junk that happen between here and there. I'm not going to get moved or diverted from training in godliness, which is what we're called to do as the church here and now. Train in godliness. Train in the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. Learn how to relate to one another in godly ways. This is the preparation, our great preparation for our part in the coming kingdom. So that's the politics that I'm focused on. Globalization, particularly in the areas of things like finance and trade, are big issues. And they're always going to be big issues. That's a part of the coming kingdom of heaven. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 20. Now, Jesus in Luke chapter 4 has just returned from the wilderness where he's been preparing for ministry. And this is one of the very first things he speaks publicly after his baptism and his temptation. Look at what it says. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. 
he went to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He was a church-going man. And he stood. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He has empowered me. He has gifted me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And once again, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Amen. Church, Jesus is reading from the book of Isaiah. He's reading passages that were written hundreds of years before. And he stands up and he claims, those verses were written about me. You know, there are chapter upon chapter in the Old Testament that describe the type of kingdom Jesus is going to set up whenever he fulfills the promise made to David. And let me tell you something, church. Jesus is already ruling and reigning from heaven. He has not yet fulfilled that promise that God made to David. That promise will be fulfilled 100% when he returns to the earth. And Jesus says, when I return to the earth, this this is what my policies, this is what my campaign is going to be built on. And here's what E. Stanley Jones says about these verses that Jesus wrote. Again, E. Stanley Jones was a great man, a missionary to India, personal friends with Mahatma Gandhi. You know, the type of guy that's got buildings named after him at seminaries and stuff. You know, that type of guy. Great man. And I wanted to read to you what he had to say about these verses from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus says, this is what my agenda, my kingdom agenda is going to be. First of all, good news to the poor. You know, there are two classes of people who think too much about money. Those who have too much and those who have too little. Those who have too much tend to be spiritually poor. Those who have too little are literally poor. Jesus will put an end to both types of poverty. And that's going to be good news to some, and it's going to be bad news to others. But it will bring and it will provide the way for everyone to live a life and comport themselves in such a way that makes sure life is good for everyone. The next verse. Release of the captives, the socially and politically disinherited. 
There are those in our society who serve as a means to other people's ends. Because of race, class, social standing, lack of education, all kinds of reasons. That will be no more in the kingdom of heaven. The opening of the eyes of the blind, the physically weak and sick and otherwise disadvantaged, maybe intellectually weak, they will be permanently strengthened and made well. The strengthening with forgiveness, them that are bruised. They're bruised with guilt complexes. They're bruised with a sense of inferiority. They're bruised from being out of harmony with God and with themselves. God is going to give everyone a place where they feel like they belong where they're loved and wanted, and where they have meaning, significance, and status. God is going to provide everyone a place where it feels like home. And lastly, the year of the Lord's jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor, a new world beginning on the basis of a closer approximation to equality and opportunity for all. Under Jesus' leadership, everyone, everyone will have a real opportunity to make a good life for themselves. And there won't be the obstacles keeping them from doing it based upon X, Y, or Z reason. There are many reasons. The landscape of this world is not fair for everyone. There are many reasons for that. In the kingdom of heaven, a life is going to be established where everyone has the opportunity to become what their potential, their God-given potential calls them to be. This is something, and this is in regards to the ridiculous political cycles that are going on in this country. And people get all ginned up about politics. I hear it all the time. I see it on Facebook. You do as well, right? People get all ginned up about politics, and rightfully so. Politics is a really big deal. Here's the problem. There is no human politician or political party that will be ever able to accomplish these things. There is no human politician or party that's ever going to see to it that these things come about on this earth. I guarantee it. That's why when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I personally and you have the return of Jesus Christ in mind. Humans do not have the wisdom or the power or the authority or the character to bring this about. This is a big deal. This is the gospel. This is the blessed hope of the church. It is a political message. It is controversial. There will be a great conflict in the time frame where it's brought about on the earth, which is predominantly what the book of Revelation is about. And I, I've run out of time. 
Gary. <laughs> but I want you to write down some chapters from Scripture, and I want you to read them for me this week. Again, the Old Testament has chapter after chapter describing what God has in mind for the earth, describing the political leader he has chosen to rule the nations, describing some of the things that he's going to do. And so I want you to write down a few chapters of Scripture. And these are some of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. You'll probably hear me say something like that about every week that I preach. But these passages are powerful. They are profound. And as you read them, I want you to keep three things in mind. Because they're describing what God has in store for his chosen leader, for his chosen people, and for the land. That's the three topics of these passages. The leader, the people, and the land. Isaiah chapter 61. This is the one, this is where Jesus read from in Luke chapter 4. It's Isaiah 61, those first few verses. That entire chapter describes his coming leadership on the earth. Isaiah 62. Isaiah chapter 63 describes the bloody conflict that is going to be involved at the return of Jesus Christ. You can compare that with Revelation 19, if you'd like. Isaiah 63 describes the bloody conflict that's going to be involved when Jesus returns. Compare that with Revelation chapter 19. And then lastly, I'm going to close with this verse of Scripture. Because Isaiah has been witnessing in the eyes of the mind of his heart the plans that God has for planet Earth. The, the plans that God has for his chosen man. The plans that God has for his chosen people. And the plans for the land. Isaiah has been watching that. He's been getting downloaded by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, that's to inform us for ages. And here's Isaiah's response in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known among your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Can you hear Isaiah's passion as he's been downloaded with the vision of God for the earth? His only response is, oh, do it now. Do it now. And that's why at the end of Revelation, it says the same thing, the last chapter in Revelation the Spirit and the Bride, which is the New Testament church, say, come. Bring it about, God. Listen. The Bible predicts the final phase of human history will be the worst time that's ever been witnessed on the face of the planet. The earth is in revolt against the coming kingdom of heaven. And the good part of the earth is hungry for the justice that the kingdom of heaven will bring. And they're looking for it in all of the wrong places. 
God is calling the church to partner with the Holy Spirit and say, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. That's what it says in Revelation. And that's our prayer as we end this message this morning. Church, we are called. In light of what God has promised, the amazing promises of God, we're called to gather here every Sunday to train in godliness, to grow in the knowledge of God so that we can be that people described in those verses, so that we can inherit the land that God intends for us to possess, so that we can do it in such a way that makes life good for everyone, so that we can deeply understand and embrace the fact that there's no other name in heaven or on earth by which we can enjoy such a great salvation as this. Let's pray together. Father, we are just standing together this morning, First Methodist Lamisa, our listening audience, we're standing in the light of these great promises, this amazing picture that you painted for the land, for your people, for your son, Jesus Christ. And so we just join with the, the Spirit. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want that. We have it now in part. We can increase it. The more we partner with you, the more we grow in knowledge, we can increase your leadership right here in our region. So we pray that you would do that here and now. But ultimately, we're with Isaiah. Come and do it now. We cannot wait. For the life that you are going to provide for the people of planet Earth. Father, we just pray that you would, I just pray, you would energize people's minds and hearts with the knowledge of God as they read those chapters this week. They think about it. They ponder it. The word says the kingdom is just like a seed now. It's planted in our minds and hearts, and it's growing invisibly, imperceptibly, but it's growing. My prayer over you is that the seeds of the kingdom would take root in your minds and hearts, and it would bear much fruit, much fruit in the coming years, in our church, in our city, and in our region. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen.